We're going to go ahead and get started. If you have your notes with you, you can pull those out of your uh, bulletin there. And, and, and if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. We'll be spending a lot of time in Matthew chapter 4. Um, I want to speak to you this morning about a test in the wilderness, a test in the wilderness. You know, uh, the truth is, is life is, is, is really full of tests. I don't know if you've realized that or not, especially, you know, if we're in school, we got tests all the time. And I don't know about you, I don't, I don't much care for tests. Sometimes they get me all stressed out, you know, they're, they, they fill you with anxiety, there's a lot of fear going on. I still actually have nightmares sometimes about getting all my book points. Anybody ever have that nightmare? Yeah, got a couple people, you know. They, are, are kids still getting book points, by the way? Is that still going on? I mean, the torture and the torment of coming to that last week, you know, and having to get 30 book points and reading cliff notes and stuff like that. It's, it's a really hard time. But the reason tests are involved in life is because a lot of times we have to be, we have to be put in this position where we prove whether or not we've learned something. We have, to be, we have to prove whether or not something has gotten on the inside of us, and we're going to be tested time in and time out. I mean, even, even whenever you're getting ready to get out of high school, you take a, a particular test called ACT, which is so comprehensive, it covers this broad range of different things, just to find out if you actually learned anything while you were in high school, and if you're going to be smart enough to carry it on to the next degree. And then, of course, if you want to get a master's degree, you've got to take something called a GRE, take another test, in order to figure out if you're able to go to the next level. And so this is always going on, but here's what I didn't find out, because, because a lot of times, you know, well, pretty much all the time, unless they give you a pop quiz or something in school, but usually when you're in school, you know when you're about to have a test, right? The teacher will tell you, so you can figure out ways to cheat, you know, if you're not saved yet, I mean, and, uh, and you, you can do stuff like that, because you know the test is coming. But my issue now that I'm finding out is throughout Scripture, I I found out that according to Scripture, a lot of times we are tested in life, and sometimes the big difference is we don't even realize that we're in the test. And see, so so throughout Scripture, we see these tests, and in the the most particular instance in Scripture when the test comes, there's a few different places, but I want to go to this first first one in Matthew chapter 4, because this one is when Jesus himself is put to the test. And it's in Matthew chapter 4, and here's what it reads. I'm going to read several verses here, and then we'll just, uh, we'll just start from there. It says then, in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We'll find out that that word tempted also means tested. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. And now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God, or put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Let's pray really quickly. Father... We thank you for your word, and I just pray that over these next few moments, God, that your word would reveal some things about us, God, that we've not seen. And Lord, when your word comes to reveal and correct, God, it also comes to bring supernatural strength and encouragement, and it comes to make us look more like Jesus. And so, Lord, we ask you to transform us this morning by your word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, it says to be tempted or tested by the devil. Now, this is interesting because right before this, you get to the point where you figure out that Jesus has just turned 30 years old. He's just turned 30 years old. He's not even been in ministry yet. He just grew up in Nazareth under his family, and he grows up. But at this point, he's still never sinned in his life. 
And he's done nothing under the power of the Holy Spirit, so up to this point he's not done any miracles. Up to this point he's done nothing in ministry. He's been a carpenter working with his father most of his life. And he goes out into the desert where John the Baptist is baptizing people, and he receives baptism at the hand of John the Baptist. Now what was different about Jesus is when he came up out of the water, that later he he would sanctify, he would set that water apart for us so we could be baptized as well. But when he comes up out of the water, the sky is split open, the heavens are opened, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove and rests upon him. And this is when his ministry will begin. But as soon as the Holy Spirit descends upon him, there's a voice from heaven, the voice of the Father, giving him his identity in a moment of time. And the the voice of the Father says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now here's what's so interesting is because the Holy Spirit has come upon him and the Holy Spirit is, is the power of God, the person of God that is going to empower him to fulfill his ministry in the earth. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just come upon him for ministry because here's what we find out is that in this first verse of, of Matthew chapter 4, it says that the next thing the Holy Spirit does is it leads him into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. And that's some of the worst news I've ever heard because I've always thought, well, you know, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're just happy all the time. And it, the Holy Spirit always leads you into perfect peace and the Holy Spirit always leads you into happiness. But here we read that the Holy Spirit intentionally leads Jesus into a dry, barren wasteland where there's no food, where there's no water, where there's wild beasts all around him, where he's going to be challenged and he's going to be tempted and he's going to be tested by the devil. The Holy Spirit on purpose leads him into a face-to-face confrontation with pure evil. I want you to think about that for a minute. Because a lot of times we think that if God is in our life and if God is running the show, we're never going to be faced with evil. We're never going to be faced with anything difficult. But the Bible teaches something completely different. It teaches that in this world, you're going to find trouble. You're going to find tribulation. And there's going to be times when you are absolutely faced with evil. And this evil comes to him in a voice. I don't want you to picture this scene as a dude with a, with a big red tail and a pitchfork coming up to him and saying, Hey, Jesus. You know, like that, they, they had that one, uh, they had the, uh, the, the Son of God series or whatever, and it, and, it, and it portrayed, basically, the devil looked like Barack Obama in one of them big outfits. Y'all see that the show? I'm going to say that's not exactly what it looked like. I'm going to imagine that the devil came to Jesus the same way that the devil comes to us, and a lot of times that's in our thoughts. A lot of times that's in impressions. A lot of times that's in intense emotional feelings of shame and doubt and fear that all of a sudden in that shame and in that doubt and in that fear there's a suggestion that comes to your mind and you don't know that it's the devil but it is the devil coming to you. It is is an evil force coming to you trying to suggest something to you to get you to fall away from God's purposes in your life. And so he comes to Jesus and the first thing that he does is he questions his identity. Now, remember, he's just been told that he's the Son of God. But he says, if you are the Son of God. And I want you to understand that really a lot of times what we're dealing with in life and and most of the struggles that we deal with is the question of our identity. Who are we really? And we're always going to be tested with this. And And the enemy and evil is going to come to test your identity whether or not you truly know who you are. And he's constantly going to try to convince you that you are anything other than the beloved son or daughter of God. He wants you to think anything else about yourself other than that. But so, so he comes, and he comes to tempt us. But here's, here's what I want you to understand, is that this word in the Greek language, it's, it's translated tempted, but it's also translated tested just as much. And temptation, I'll say it like this, temptation comes to destroy you, but a test comes to actually develop you. And so it's not, when we think about temptation, we only think of it in the negative sense. But this word here is, is the Greek word parazo. I know you don't care about that. But the definition of that word in the Greek language is a difficult set of circumstances that come to reveal the truth about who you are. Now just let that one settle in just for a minute. It's a difficult set of circumstances that come to reveal the truth about who you are. Now, I don't know about you, but if you ever go through a difficult set of circumstances, whatever is on the inside of you is going to come out. Amen? A lot of times people just drop a big, you know, they start cussing, right? Because you got cussing in you. And then when you hit a difficult set of circumstances, it comes out. We don't always respond in a peaceful manner. We don't always respond to love when people hurt us or persecute us, do we? 
Because it's a difficult set of circumstances which finally reveals the truth about who you are and you can't cover it up anymore. The real you comes out because all of a sudden you've been put to the test. And Jesus is put to the test. Now here's my first point in your notes. You can look at them. It says, it says though, the first point is that the test comes to expose you. And the test does not come to expose you in a manner that God wants to bring shame or humiliation upon your life. God knows who you are and He knows what is in your heart, but He needs you to know who you are and what is in your heart. And so while the devil will come to tempt us very often, sometimes God will also allow it in order to test us. And so every time that the devil comes, don't think that, well, this is just the devil. Also realize that if you are in a challenge, if you are in a confrontation, if you are facing the enemy, it's because God believes that as a child of God, you have the power and the capability in him to overcome the enemy and defeat the enemy in that circumstance. So there's no wilderness situation, there's no confrontation with evil that God will lead you into that his intentions are not for you to absolutely overcome him and destroy the works of the devil. See, when he leads you into a confrontation with the enemy, his intention is not just for you to overcome for yourself, but when you overcome, you're going to bring others into that same overcoming victory with you. Amen? And this is his goal for your life. This is what he wants for you now. In in Proverbs 17.3, the scripture says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace is for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Now what he's saying is, is that when gold and silver has impurities in it, there'll be fire placed on that gold, there'll be fire placed on that silver, and what will happen is the impurities will rise to the top. And oftentimes, God will allow us to go into these situations. He's saying the same way that silver and gold is tested, your faith is going to be put to the test on occasion. And if there are any impurities, they're going to rise to the top and they're going to be revealed. But it's not to humiliate you, but it is so that we can diagnose those impurities and purify you and refine you and get them out of you. See, Jesus was tested on various levels. The scripture says that the Pharisees would come to him often, the religious leaders. And religious leaders are something else, aren't they? Because they come oftentimes with some of the worst intentions. And sometimes they're not necessarily led by God so much as they are led by the evil voice, especially when they come with accusation, especially when they come with condemnation. And when they come with that, they came to Jesus with that and they wanted to test Him to see if they could get Him to back up because He believed He was the Messiah and He was the Messiah. But they wanted to reveal that He really wasn't the Messiah. But every time they came to test Him, what did Jesus do? He passed the test. He would say something back to them and they could never refute what he had to say. He said the perfect word every time and they would all just turn away and say, we can't get him. So we'll look for another opportunity later on down the road. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that God came to test Abraham. And it wasn't that God was trying to get Abraham to do evil, but God was going to reveal Abraham's character. And God is going to come oftentimes and allow things to happen in our life that are going to reveal our character. Because you see, in Scripture we find that difficult times are an absolute in the Christian life. You're never going to get away from difficult times. And the same way that Jesus was led into the wilderness by, to face the tempter and to face the te- tester, you're going to be led into the wilderness on occasion. I mean, some, some of you right now in your own life, you may say, I'm in a wilderness season. I'm in a season where it just feels like spiritually I'm dry, where I don't have the answers, where I'm questioning myself, where I'm hungry for something more. I don't know where I'm at. I'm fearful. I'm worried. I'm questioning God. I don't know what to do at this next season in my life. And see, you are in a wilderness season, but I want to tell you something that there is always a purpose behind the wilderness. You're never going to go through a wilderness season without God doing something. And let me tell you, just like I said before, God will intentionally lead you into this battle in the wilderness because He wants you to be refined and He wants you to be developed, but also He wants you to defeat the enemy. You know that God could take His thumb and squash Satan in a moment of time. He could. He could break him down, he could tear him apart, he could obliterate him. But God has chosen that Satan will only be defeated and overcome in this world by humanity. And that's why God had to become a human being in Jesus Christ to ultimately overcome the enemy, right? Because it was always human beings that were designed to defeat the powers of darkness and not God himself. So God became a human being in order to defeat darkness. And he says, I want you now to defeat darkness with the power and the authority and the victory that I've given you on the cross. 
And so Jesus goes into the wilderness. Now, now here's something that's very interesting is that this is not the first wilderness experience in the Bible. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, you see two experiences that are just like this one where Jesus is in the wilderness with the devil. The first one is actually on like page two of your Bible. It's in Genesis chapter three when Adam and Eve are in a garden. And guess who comes to them while they're in that garden? The serpent, the tester, the tempter. And he tempts them and he feeds them a lie about who they are and what they can become. And he says to them, you can become like God's knowing good and evil. And he presents them with an ideology to, to, to buy into and to bite into. And he offers it to them and it says that when they saw that it was good for food, that it was good to the eyes and it had the ability to make one wise, they took of it and they ate. They bit into this reasoning, this ideology that they could be their own gods. That was the lie from the beginning is that you don't need God, you can be your own God. You can decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. And so see, Adam, humanity, guess what we did? We failed the test. And Jesus came in order to restore what we had lost, so he goes through the same exact test with the same exact temptations that humanity has went through all their lives. But Jesus was the one that was tempted at all points like we are, yet he was without sin. That's why he's the one that could go to the cross and pay the penalty because he overcame everything that we failed. But see, there's another story too. Because when, when, when Jesus comes to restore what Adam lost, he is also coming to restore what Israel lost. Because in the Old Testament, it says that Israel, that they started out in Egypt in bondage. They came out of Egypt, they passed through the Red Sea, and where did they go? Into the wilderness. And you know how long they were in that wilderness? Forty years. So Jesus, as Israel's representative, I don't know if you know it or not, but when he was a little boy, he had to go into Egypt to seek refuge. He comes out of Egypt, and at 30 years old, he passes through the waters the same way that Israel did. He comes out of the waters, and just like Israel, where is he instantly led? Into the wilderness to be tested. For how, not 40 years, but 40 days and 40 nights. So you see Jesus going back to restore what humanity lost, but he's also going back to restore what Israel lost because when Israel was put to the test, what happened was God said, I'm going to choose a people and this people is going to represent me to the whole world. People are going to know who I am and what I'm like because this people worships me in truth. They know who I am. They're going to be a kingdom of priests to me. And when people see Israel and they see the people of Israel, they're going to know who God is. But over and over and over again, Israel failed the test. And when God brought them out in the wilderness, rather than trusting God and believing that God was bringing them into a purpose and into a good design for them, they always doubted God. They always questioned God. And ultimately, they rebelled against God and said, what did God, we just go back to Egypt. Now see, when you become a Christian, God will do miraculous things for you just like He did for Israel. He brings us out of bondage. He brings us out of slavery to sin. He brings us out of addiction. He brings us out of those things. And then we get involved in the community of the church and we get involved in seeking God and knowing Jesus Christ. But then when a difficult time comes, we say, God, I thought if I served you, things were going to work out and everything was going to be perfect and flawless. Then all of a sudden, this is going on. Would to God I'd have just stayed back in Egypt in the bondage and in the addiction and the sin that I was in. It was much easier back then than it was now. Any of y'all ever been in that situation? Where it seems like actually getting saved and giving your life to Jesus is a more difficult situation than, than not giving your life to Him. One thing you've got to understand is that if you've just given your life to Jesus and you're just giving this a try, the enemy that used to have a hold of your mind and your heart is still got a grip on you and he does not want to let you go. But Jesus says, no, if you will continue, I'll bring you through this test and you will come out stronger and wiser and more equipped than you've ever been in your life. And I will give you the power and I will give you the strength that you need to be the representative and the priest that I've always called you to be. But you can never become that if you don't go through the test. I'm telling you, if life, I, I want life to be easy. I'm one of the laziest people I know. You know what I mean? I, ju I just want life to be easy. I want everything to work out right. And, 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 but here's what I've come to find is that it's just not going to happen. And so I have to embrace that as a Christian person, and begin to realize that if it's not going to happen, then it's for my good. 
There's nothing that God would allow to happen to me in this. In, in, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no trial or temptation has taken you, but that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tested above which you are able, but will also, with the testing and with the temptation, make a way of escape for you that you may be able to bear it. God's going to be faithful no matter what you go through, but everything you go through has purpose. You believe that? So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I want to turn there just for a moment because this is is symbolic of what Jesus is going through. And here's what God says about this wilderness season in their lives and in our lives. In chapter 8, verse 2, it says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years. I want you to consider this as well because... You know how long their journey was supposed to take? It actually says in the Scripture that when God brings them out of Egypt, He's going to take them into into the promised land, which is a picture of abundant life. It's what we want. It's the promises of God being fulfilled. He's going to take them into the promised land. You know how long of a journey it is? Eleven days. Okay? I want you to imagine somebody saying, look, man, why don't you go on a trip with me? You'd be like, okay, how long are we going to be gone? It's going to be eleven days. And then 40 years later. Bro, I thought you said we were going to be gone 11 days. I mean, I'd be upset too. You know what I mean? That's why they kept getting mad at Moses. And Moses is trying to help them understand, listen, the reason you're still in this wilderness is because you never believed God when he said he was taking you to the promised land. You didn't believe him. You doubted him. You questioned him. You tested him. And as soon as things got difficult, you stopped believing and you rebelled against him. He's saying that's why this 11-day journey has turned into 40 years. And then it goes on to say there's a reason behind this wilderness. He says the 40 years in the wilderness, and he brought you through it and led you through it to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Now see, this discipline is not, a, it's not don't think of it as a spanking or a ch- chastening. I think a lot of times when we think about God, we think about God as a, angry oftentimes and and wanting to punish us. But even when God, uh, when we think about the wrath of God, we need to think about something that flows from his love for us. And the example I always give, we talked about it in small group one day, is how, you know, if if Justin saw his little girl girl Ivory, I don't know if y'all know Ivory, but she's liable to get into anything, you know what I'm saying? She's awesome. And, 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 and we could just imagine this, that if we went into his house and maybe she gets under the cabinet and, and she gets Drano out of the cabinet and she just screws the lid off and she starts to turn that up and I would be like, Justin, she's about to drink Drano. And he, what if he went to me and said, no, we love her, man. We love her and we don't need, we're just going to let her do what she wants. We let Ivory make her own choices and we're going to let her do what she wants. That would be weird, wouldn't it? But what is the right response is actually wrath that comes from love. He's going to act in a quick, aggressive response in order to protect his loved one from dying. That's what the wrath of God is. It is a quick, aggressive response out of love in order to protect you from destruction. Amen. It's not because God got ticked off and he's angry at you and he's just itching to punish you. He is not. If he was itching to punish you, Jesus would have never went to the cross for you. Because his desire was that he would never have to punish you. That Jesus would go to the cross for you. That you would believe in him so that you could be set free from any destruction, from any of his anger, from any of that. And that you might live an abundant life. That's always been his desire. That's always been who he's fully revealed to be. And so he comes to them and he brings this and he he gives them a discipline. But sometimes discipline is just allowing us to go through a difficult set of circumstances and nothing more than that. That's what he is. That's what he's doing in in their life. And so he does that. And and it says in verse 2 that he did this. He allowed you to go through the wilderness to humble you first, right? And this is so that you would recognize your need for God. Because he goes on to say, here's what would happen 
if I did not humble you. What would happen is, is if I just gave you everything you wanted when you wanted it, if you read it in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he goes on to say that you would have got into this promised land where you built houses, that, that you'd have houses that you didn't build, you'd have vineyards, you'd have this abundance, and your whole life would just be in, in, this, in this, everything is good and flowing and going well. And what would happen is you would be lifted up in, in self, self-righteousness, you would be lifted up in pride, and you would say, it is by my own hand that all of this I got, and you would forget God. You all realize how often that happens, that when everything is going good, oftentimes we do forget God, and then all of a sudden when, when everything hits the fan, so to speak, that that's when we finally turn to God and we say, God, help us out. He said, I allowed you to go through this wilderness to humble you so that you would recognize your need, to me, need for me, but not only that, he says in verse 3, in verse 3 that, well, he, he, says, he says, I humbled you, but also I tested you. And the test comes again to reveal what is in our hearts. He says, I humbled you and I allowed you to hunger and I fed you with manna, which you did not know. Now, I don't, I don't know if y'all know, but in the book of Exodus, the manna is pretty significant because they come out into the wilderness where there's no food, Right? And they start crying out, and they, they say, God, I mean, what in the world have you done? And they're complaining night and day, and they're arguing, and they're quarreling, and they're pointing their finger at Moses. They don't trust God. God has just split the Red Sea, brought them over on dry ground, defeated their oppressors. They saw God do a miracle in their midst, and now somehow they believe that, that now that they're in the wilderness, God's not going to provide for them. And God says to Moses, watch this, I'm going to rain down bread out of heaven. And I will feed them manna. I'm going to allow them to hunger. And I'm going to feed them with manna. Now, I want you to understand something. Sometimes God will allow you to hunger. And I'm not talking about physical hunger. I'm talking about spiritual hunger. There are times when people in this life are so hungry that they go looking for anything they can find to satisfy their spiritual hunger. A lot of times people search for it in sex. They search for it in relationships. They search for it in money. They search for it in a job or a career or a status, something that I'm good at that will make me feel good about myself. And they're hungering for something. But I'm telling you something, every one of those wells that you drink from is going to be an empty well. Because God is trying to say the only place that you're actually going to find your purpose is in me. And I'm testing you to see what is in your heart, whether you're going to worship me or you're going to worship this other stuff. So I will allow you to hunger to see if you're going to choose me or you're going to choose the things of this world. That's, that's a difficult word to some degree. But at the same time, when we know that we're in the test, it helps us make better decisions. And he says, I fed them with manna, which you did not know. And the reason they called it manna is because manna in the Hebrew literally means, what is it? That's what it means. And the stuff rained down from heaven, and there was bread. And it said it was like wafers, and honey-flavored wafers, which is probably pretty good. And it's all over the ground, and they go out. And God says, here's what you're going to do. He says, you're going to go out every day, and you're going to pick up just enough for what you need for that day. And you're not going to pick up any more. And so they would go out. And some of them sometimes, you know, because what we do is like we like to prepare years in advance. And we're like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do something right here. I'm going to get a little bit more than what I need. Just in case. Just in case he doesn't provide it tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Y'all ever do that? Just in case God doesn't show up tomorrow, let me take care of this day, get a little bit more. But any that they held over, guess what it did? It rotted and it stank. And God was trying to say to them, you have to get to the point in your life where you learn to trust me for your daily provision. You learn to understand that whatever I've given you today, it's because it's what you need today. And I'll never go, let you go without. He said, you were in the wilderness these 40 years. Your shoes never wore out. Your clothing never expired. You never actually went hungry or thirsty once. I provided every time. But the issue wasn't whether or not you were going to go without. You never did. The issue is whether or not you were actually going to trust that I would provide for you even when it looked like there was no way I would provide. Do you believe God can do that? Do you truly trust God to give you exactly what you need when you need it? See, a lot of times we don't. We don't trust God and we don't realize that every single day He is giving us exactly what we need when we need it. See, I'm going to say it like this. You say, well, man, I'm just going through this wilderness season and, 
And, and, it, and it's just awful. So, I mean, that's why I feel the way I feel. But I'm going to say that there's two kinds of wildernesses that are going on. One is the actual circumstances that you're living in. Now, you may be going through some real family troubles. You may be uh, going through some real financial troubles. You may deal, be dealing with fear and depression, and to a large degree, that, that, is, that is a wilderness season that you are in. But I'm telling you right now that there's a wilderness in the wilderness, and that is your attitude and your response to the circumstances that you're in. There's a wilderness in the wilderness, and that is the condition of your soul while you're going through the wilderness. It's your attitude. It's how you react. It's how you feel during these tests and during these trials. And see, that's my second point. My second point is that the test, it doesn't only come to expose you, but it also comes to equip you. It comes to equip you. Look at James 1. James 1 says, and, and, and this is one of the craziest verses in the Bible. Let's read it together. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now here's, now here's what happens. Is, is we don't, in, in, in Israel, in the, when they were in the wilderness, they did not consider it pure joy when they got into the wilderness. They considered it pure torment. They considered it pure misery. And rather than, rather than rejoicing, what they did was cast blame, point the finger, doubt, and murmur and complain, and that's all they did. But here's what the Bible says about difficult situations. He says, here's what you ought to do. You ought to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Y'all ever go through a difficult season and just be like, yes, man, whoo, man, I'm pumped about this one. Nobody does that. But the Bible actually teaches to do that. And here's why it says you ought to do that. Next verse says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It's going to go on to say, and let this perseverance have its perfect work in you that you may be complete and entire and lacking nothing. What God is saying is, I know you want stuff on the outside changed. I know you want your circumstances changed. But what I really want is you changed. Amen? What I really want is you changed. And so the test comes to equip you. Philippians 2.14, I like this one too. It says, do all things. All things without complaining and disputing. I had, I had a couple come in this morning. They said, uh, they said something about complaining. I about giggled because I knew I had that verse up. They don't complain, though. They're holy men and women of God. He says, so do all things without murmuring and complaining. Why? That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, in the world, all you got to do is look at any kind of situation and what's the first response of the world always going to be? Complaining, grumbling, and murmuring. He's saying the way you're going to find out that Christians are Christians and not of this world is that when they go through difficult seasons of life, they don't sit there and murmur and complain and grumble all the time. He's saying, and people are going to look at that and be like, wow, that person shines bright like a light in the midst of some crazy stuff. Now, I got to be honest with you. Because I, I, can't, I can't really stand up here and preach down on you because I do a lot of complaining. Anybody amen me? All right, I'm just making sure y'all are still with me. So this, so this is a corrective message for me because sometimes I struggle with this. And this is a hard lesson for people to learn. But here's what I felt like the Lord said to me and wanted me to ask this question. If what, what if God actually has you in the place you are at right now for a, 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 an exact purpose? Like the wilderness and the difficulty that you're going in right now, he's saying, no, don't want to get out of it. Don't get out of it. You don't need to be out of it. You need to stay right where you're at because I've got you where you are at for a purpose. You may be struggling on your job. You may be struggling at your church. You may be struggling with some weird people that you've been around here lately that are giving you a hard time. And God is saying, guess what? I've got you right there for right now for a purpose. Quit murmuring, quit complaining because I've got you there for a reason. There's a reason behind it. And what we want to do is we want to find the reason. And see, here's what God is saying. 
And this is what the manna is all about of Him feeding it to them day by day and then picking up just as much as they need. I'm telling you that you have to understand that if God is your God, He will never give you less and He will never give you more than exactly what you need in this day. And that's why He said it's important that you learn to be content in whatever set of circumstances you are in because if you are there, you're there for a purpose. Paul got put into prison and he was in prison for years and he said, you know what? I rejoice and I praise God because my imprisonment is actually furthering the gospel you imagine that kind of mentality you get thrown in prison you say this is for good this is good it takes a weird person to do that that's what he does so the Lord says I'm actually going to test them with my provision I'm going to pour out what they need when they need it to see if they're going to truly see me for who I am See, and what happens is, is we go through struggles, we go through financial issues, we get a bad medical report, and the first temptation that comes to our mind is, God's not really who He said He is. Because I've been serving God, I've been going to church, I've been praying, I've been reading my Bible, and all of a sudden I go through this difficult situation. And surely if God was good, I wouldn't have to be going through this foolishness. I wouldn't have to be dealing with this. And all of a sudden, we begin to doubt, we begin to question, we begin to murmur and complain, and oftentimes, people go as far as the children of Israel did, and they actually get mad at God for the set of circumstances that they're in. And listen, I'm not saying that you won't go through some hard stuff that will come near to crushing you, but I'm saying that Jesus went to the cross and was crushed to say that there's nothing you go through that I've not been through, and there's nothing that you go through that I will not go through it with you. And if you go through it, it's because I'm going to resurrect you from the dead at the end of it. It's because there is new life on the other side of it. And if you go through this trial, you're going to come out refined. You're going to come out better than when you started going into it. See, here's, and here's a big point that I want to make, is that God may not always provide what we're asking for, but He will always provide something we may have forgotten that we needed. See, we ask God for a lot of stuff. God, I'd like to get a new job. I, I can't stand this job. I need to get this new job. And we ask God for that. And you know what? Oftentimes God will give it to you because He's a good God. He wants to give good gifts to you. But I'm saying that if it doesn't come when you ask for it, it's because He may be saying what you need more than a new job is to learn patience and love and forgiveness, and what you need more than a new job is for you to gain wisdom in the midst of difficult trials and circumstances. He's saying, I need to develop your character before you actually go into this new season and into this new thing. But as long as you're complaining and murmuring, guess what? You're never going to pass the test. You're going to never move forward. See, they, they stayed in the wilderness for 40 years when it was an 11-day journey. And here, I love this. This is crazy. I've said this before in here, I think, but I'm going to say it again. Complain in the Hebrew language is a, is a word, and, it, and when you say it, it's, a, it's called loon. I like that one, right, just because you're a loon. But two, it not only means complain, but Hebrew words always have a do double meaning. And the other meaning other than complain is to spend another night. And whenever I go through difficult situations and my response is always to complain and not trust God, guess what? He said, you're going to spend another night right in that same spot. You ain't never going to move beyond that same spot. You'll be here for 40 years if we got to do it this way. And I'm telling you, there are so many people I know in the kingdom of God that got stuck in one place and never moved forward because they got in a difficult place and they didn't realize that it was there to develop them. It was there to equip them. It was there to make them better. It was there to, cha there to change them. But rather than moving forward, they got bitter. They got hurt. They got angry. They didn't learn to forgive their brothers and sisters in the church that hurt them, that affected them. And because they never learned that part of it, they got stuck. And many of them not only got stuck, but they went backwards and went back to Egypt. They died in the wilderness. Because they didn't realize that it was a test for their good. They didn't realize that it was a test for their good. And see, we'll often figure out when we're passing the test, when things don't seem to be going well, but instead of complaining to our co-workers, right, we'll stand up and we'll say, you know what, they'll look at us going through a hard time and we'll be the ones saying, you know what, here's what I know is that God is faithful and I know that God is good 
And I know that God knows how to provide exactly what I need when I need it. He's going to provide for my family what I need when I need it. Even if my family is going through something that I don't understand, it's because He's teaching them something that they need to know so that ultimately we can be a stronger family. And I don't care. And here's the other thing I don't care how far somebody goes into the pit of darkness. And how far and how deep it looks like they've gone, whether they're in your family, whether they're not, whatever it is, I'm telling you, if you can believe God and you can pray and you can trust God, He will bring them out of that darkness and they will have a revelation about God that nobody else has because God was the one who went into that darkness and brought them out. I'm telling you, there is no bad thing that happens that God will not reverse and make absolutely better if you're willing to trust Him through it, if you're willing to go with Him through it. In John chapter 6, Jesus ends up saying, he said, you know, well, what he did first was he fed thousands. He he fed like 5,000 with some bread and some fish. And, and, And I mean, they're hungry people. People need to be fed when they're hungry. We need to feed hungry people. That's important. But Jesus walks away and they chase after him and they follow him and they show up and he turns to him, to them and he says, look, I know why y'all are here. Y'all are here because I fed you with food that perishes. And he said, I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to feed you again. He said, because here's the real truth, is that, is that I am that bread that came down from he- heaven. I am that manna that came down from heaven. He said, I am the bread of life. And he says, what you want is natural food. You want natural things. You want me to provide for you things on this earth. And he's saying, but if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. He's saying, I'm talking about a food that is far deeper than what's going on in this world around you. I'm not talking about just providing clothing for you and providing food in a house for you. He says, look, I've already decided in my heart I'm going to provide that stuff for you. But if you think that's the focus of why you serve me and why you follow me, you've missed the entire point. You've missed it all. He says, I am the bread of life, and you don't need to go in pursuit of these natural things. You need to come to me and eat because I'm the one that's going to satisfy the inner hunger of your soul. And so we can rejoice in a difficult season because Jesus intends to make us more like Him. That's His intention. He intends to equip us. He intends to equip us with character, with relationship. And here's the thing. He's trying to teach us that the best gift He can give us is not stuff, but the best gift He can give us is Himself. And a lot of times we come to God and we ask Him for so many things and when He doesn't give it to us, we get frustrated, we get angry, and we actually distance ourselves from God. And He's saying, look, I want to give that to you. I really do. I want to give you so much that you can't even understand it. I'm a good father, and I love to give good gifts to my children. But there's things that I want happening in here before I give you what's on the outside. And maybe the reason He's not giving you what you're asking for is because you're not allowing, allowing Him to develop you in here so that you can handle what you're asking Him for. And that's good. That makes me want to shout a little bit. So, in Deuteronomy 8.16, he ends up saying, look, the whole reason I brought you through this thing is because I wanted to do you good in the end. He said, I might test you to do you good in the end. He said, no matter what it looks like in the end, I got something planned that you could not imagine. So when you're going through this season, you might as well rejoice and celebrate because my, my plan is to do you good in the end. And I'm going to tell you something that we can learn. You need to write this down if you're writing anything down. Is that God's no to me is as good as His yes. Because if he says yes to me, it's because he loves me. And if he says no to me, it's because he loves me. And in both situations, his no to me is as good as his yes. And I can trust him that if he says it's not time, that he's got plans for something good and something better in the end. Now here's the issue. He equips us, right? But now we're going to finish and and I'll be done. But turn back to Matthew chapter 4 really quickly. Because while we're in this wilderness... What's going to happen is you're going to hear voices in this wilderness. While you're dealing with these difficult circumstances, you're going to hear voices in your mind that are trying to get you to back out of this test, to doubt God, to fear God, to say no and run away from the trial and run away from the difficulty and stop trusting God. There's going to be voices that are going to ask questions about your identity as a child of God, about whether or not God's good. And it comes to you and it sounds a little bit... Like this, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, we've read this. It says, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. 
If you are the Son of God, first he's questioning his identity. God has just told him, you are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He says, no, I don't know if you're really the Son of God or not. You're going to have to prove this. You're going to have to prove this. And, and so Jesus ends up responding, but he says, the temptation is command that these stones become bread. And what the tester is doing, and what the tempter is doing, is he's coming to undermine Jesus' identity through his circumstances. In other words, he's saying, look, if the Father really is good, and you really are a child of God, like you say, I know you go to church and y'all sing him weird songs and stuff, and you talk about I'm a child of God and all this stuff. This is how, the, this is how that voice comes. And that voice comes and he says, I know you sing that, I know you think you're a child of God, but if you were a child of God, why would the Father who loves you have you out in this wilderness, in these circumstances, hungry? So you ain't even eat nothing in 40 days. And you're hungry and you're starving. What are you doing out here in this wilderness, Jesus? And he's trying to test Jesus' trust in the Father and trying to test Jesus' loyalty. He's saying clearly the Father does not actually really have your best interest in mind. Y'all ever believe that in your heart? Y'all ever had that come to you? Clearly the Father doesn't really have your best interest in mind or He would protect you from this. He wouldn't let you go through this. And here's what He's saying. Is, 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 the question is, is, do you truly trust the Father with your life? Because here's how Jesus responds. Jesus responds in the next verse. He says, it is written. He always goes to the Scripture. And He goes to the Scripture and He says, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's saying, let me tell you something, Satan. My identity and who I am and my value and my meaning and my purpose in life does not come from the clothes on my back or the food that I eat or the house that I live in or any of the things that you think this world has to offer. My identity comes from none of those things. Those things are secondary unto the word of the Father that comes into my life to tell me who I am, what I'm on this earth for, and what I'm going to do. And if my Father has me in this wilderness, He has me in this wilderness for a purpose, and Jesus knew He has me in this wilderness to defeat you, my friend. And if I'm here and I'm hungry, I'm here and I'm hungry for a purpose, and I'm still not going to take the bait of your temptation because I'm not living for instant gratification and instant satisfaction. I'm living for the will of the Father. And whatever my Father says to me is more nourishing and more nutrition to my soul than any bread or any food you could give me in this moment. And, 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 and Satan is saying, no, just, just turn these stones into bread. And not only that, you could take it into your ministry. Because just imagine all the hungry people in the world, you wouldn't need God. You could just feed them and turn the stones into bread, and then they believe in you. But see, he's coming at his trust, and he's asking, do you truly trust the Father with your life? In verse 5 and 6, then, that didn't work out. So the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, once again, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Now the devil, we got to give the devil his due, right? He's good. Because Jesus defeats him the first time by quoting Scripture. So what's the devil say? I think I'm going to quote me some Scripture. Let me tell you something. The devil will quote Scripture. You know that? He will twist it. He will use it for some of the weirdest, strangest things and give you some of the strangest ideas. And this is why, one, we need the Holy Spirit, but also we need community. Because Scripture has been misinterpreted for years upon years, and people have actually killed other people in the name of Scripture. And that, guess what? You've all, when you do that, you have pretty much become the antithesis of the meaning of Scripture, period. But people have done it. People love John Calvin. What people don't know about him is that when a man named Michael Servetus came, came up against him to, uh, to argue with him, and he denied the Trinity. So you know what the great man of God, John Calvin, did? He had him burnt at the stake. Praise God. I mean, that's, it's sad, isn't it? But a man who was actually defending Scripture, and for, to a large degree we, we have uh, got a lot of our theology from, put his theology on such a high ground that he actually used it that when a man disagreed with him, rather than loving that man saying, okay, this man's wrong, this man's a heretic, he's teaching uh, false doctrine, he said, you know what? Let's put that man to death, let's kill him. And what he did was he violated the greatest doctrine of all, and that is love. So it's a good point. 
But it happens that way. And so he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, I'm going to use a new technique. I'm going to quote the Bible. So he quotes Psalm 91. Quotes Psalm 91. One of my favorite psalms. Anybody know about Psalm 91? I read it all the time. I quote it because it's a psalm of protection. It's a psalm psalm where God uh, will defend us. And he says, look, he, he says... He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. He said, this is God's presence. This is where God's presence dwells. He says, here's what you need to do, Jesus. Just cast yourself down from here. Because can you imagine? You, you jump off the, off the pinnacle of the temple. All the people are going to be down there. And when they see you jump off the temple and the angels just grab you, guess what? If there's any atheists out here, they're going to say, all right, God's real. But see, God doesn't do that. That's not how God works. And Jesus responds, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, whenever the children of Israel went through the wilderness and they said, God, if you're really with us, prove it to us. Prove it to us. And they demanded that God would show them some sort of outward trick or outward sign. And you know what? Sometimes we can ask God for a sign. We really can. Sometimes we can say, God, give me a sign. And I'm telling you, God is good enough and faithful enough to give us a sign. But when that becomes the central idea of what we are as Christians, that God is just this, it's a genie in a bottle God. It's a health and wealth God that every, every situation and every bad thing that we get into, every bad situation, just pull the genie in the bottle out of your pocket and get him to fix all your problems. And God is saying, look, I want to fix your problems. Trust me, I want to fix your problems more than anything, but you don't know your problems as good as I know your problems. And it's not about me serving your purpose. It's about you serving my purpose. So we don't use God for our purposes, but God uses us for His purposes. And I'm going to tell you something, when we try to use God for ours, we're going to end up destroyed. But when God, we allow Him to use us for His, we end up in the exact place that we need to be in life. And here's the last temptation because that one failed Jesus so, or, or failed Satan. So lastly, He comes to Him in verse 8 and 9. And you guys can come to the music if you want. It says, And again, the devil took Him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed Him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And He said to Him, All these things I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Now here's what's very interesting is because in the end what Jesus wanted was all the kingdoms of the world. The book of Revelation says that all the kingdoms of this world will be, are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're all becoming His kingdoms, but the temptation is, is what kind of king and what kind of kingdom is Jesus going to bring? Is he going to bring a kingdom that has been brought about by every other manly kingdom that we just destroy other kingdoms by violence and coercion? What Satan is saying is, look, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world and you can defeat the Roman Empire and you can defeat all the oppressors of Israel and you can stand up as king and you can bring violence and the sword and kill anybody else just the way that they've always done and you can say, you must bow at my feet and worship me for I am Savior and King. But Jesus says, no, I didn't come to bring another earthly manly kingdom. I came to bring a heavenly kingdom. And I didn't come with a sword, but I came with a cross. And see, Jesus ends up saying, here's what happens. It's really an, it's an aspect of worship. He says, because if you bring the sword and coercion, you're actually worshiping the devil. But if you bring the cross and self-giving, self-sacrificial love, you're worshiping the one true God. He says there's a difference here between how these kingdoms operate. You know, there was one other place where Jesus, Jesus responds. He says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. He says, I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to bow, bow down to you, Satan. I'm not going to fail that test. And a lot of times that test is simply success without God. A lot of people want success without God. He says, I'm not going to fail that test. But you know the other place that Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, He actually says it to a man. says it to a man by the name of Peter. He says, who do you all think I am? Jesus, Jesus looks at him and Peter finally says, well, you know, some of them say that you're Jeremiah. Some of them say that you're John the Baptist. Some of them say you're a great prophet. He says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And, and Peter said, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. He said, you're blessed. You're blessed, Peter, because this has not been revealed to you by man, but this has been revealed to you by my Father which is in heaven. And immediately they step away from this place and Jesus walks over and He begins to tell them that He's going to have to suffer and He's going to have to die on the cross. And you know what Peter does? Peter takes Jesus by the hand, pulls Him aside and begins to rebuke Him. 
I'm going to tell you something. It's a bad idea to rebuke God. Don't try it. But he rebukes God, and Jesus responds to him by saying, he said, far be it from you, Lord. He's saying, you can't die. The Messi- haven't you read your Bible, Jesus? Haven't you read Psalms 2? And haven't you read Isaiah 11? You're supposed to conquer, man. You're supposed to usher in a period of peace. You're supposed to change the world. You're going to defeat the Roman Empire. You're going to get Israel free. You're going to do all these things. You can't die. And Jesus responds to him and, get, and he says, get behind me, Satan. And he says, because you're not thinking about the things of, of God, but you're thinking about the things of men. And he says, you're being tempted by the tempter. You're being put through the test. He ends up saying to Peter, he says, he says, Peter, let me tell you something. Satan wants to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that you would withstand the test. Right? Jesus goes on to say, and listen, Peter, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross too. This life is not about you having success or you having gain or you being fed or you getting what you want. This life is about us taking up our cross and following God and revealing a kingdom that is not of this world. The kingdom that we're living for, the kingdom that we are bringing and the kingdom that we're revealing to people is not what this world looks like. It is something far greater and it's revealed on the cross of Jesus Christ. You may tell you how Jesus became king. They put a crown of thorns on his head and he was nailed to a cross. That was his coronation as king. That was when he was lifted up as king. And he revealed that even when you spit on me, even when you hate me, even when you reject me, even when you crucify me, I respond by saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he says, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Self-sacrificial, self-giving love. And the temptation is to, to reject the cross, to take it all here now, to not live for another kingdom, to live for this one. He's saying we're being tested with that every day. But you know, the last thing, and 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 I'll be done, number three, is that the test comes to empower you. The test comes to empower you. Because once Jesus passes this test, I love it because after he passes this test, Satan leaves him and Every time he comes in, into, in the vicinity of any kind of demonic power after that, you know what the de- demons say? They say, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. How did they know? Because he'd been put to the test and he, and he passed it with flying colors. The greatest evil of all put Jesus to the test and he was proven 100% God, 100% man, 100% sinless. And that's why he could go to the cross for us. But see, it says in Luke chapter 4 verse 16 that when he came out of this time of testing, that he returned in the power of the Spirit. And I'm telling you right now that no matter what you are going through right now, it's because God is going to bring you out of this wilderness and He is going to give you a power that you have never had before in your life to overcome, to reveal His love, and to reveal His kingdom in this earth. This is what He's calling you to. If you're going through a test right now, I promise you it is there for a reason. It's there for a purpose. It is to equip you. It's going to expose you. Yes, you're going to find out who you really are. But it's also going to equip you and ultimately it's going to empower you. And you're going to know who you finally are or who you truly are as a child of God. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet just for a moment. I want you to bow your head just for a minute. Because I really feel like I really feel like that uh, There's a lot of people in here that you've been hearing those subtle little voices in your head saying you're not going to make it. Maybe saying you're not worthy. Maybe saying, look how bad things are right now. But you know, every time the test and the voice came, Jesus responded with not the sword, a physical sword, but he responded with the sword of the Spirit. He responded with the Word of God. And right now, I'm telling you, that's what we need to respond with. I don't care what, God, what, what is going on. You need to respond with who you are in Christ. You need to say, it is written. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And God is going to give me what I need when I need it because He's going to supply all of my need according to His riches and glory. And Satan, God has declared that He's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He has declared that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's declared that I'm more than a conqueror through Him who loved me. And if God be for me, then who can be against me? 
right now, if you if you if you've not given your life to Jesus and you say, I just wanna I wanna begin a walk with him, maybe maybe you've just been away from him and you say, I wanna start that afresh. I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna follow Jesus. Would you just lift your hand for me real quick where you at? Just just me and you, just lift your hand where you at. I got I got one back there. Thank you for lifting your hand. Listen, we got some people that lifted their hands, and here's what we want to do. I want us to pray for them, but also I want I want us to pray for you. And I'm going to say a quick prayer. I want you to pray with me, and then I'm going to leave this altar open because if you're going through a test and you're going through a struggle, I want you to come up, and I want you to allow us to gather around you and pray for you for God to give you strength and wisdom. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we confess our sins to you. Lord, we've complained, we've murmured, we've grumbled. We've done so many different things, Lord. But in the end, even when we're unfaithful, God, you're always faithful. And you love us so much, God, that you come to give, get us even when we're struggling and you take us by the hand to lead us back into your will and into your purpose for our lives. So we yield to you now. We say that we trust you, Lord Jesus. And God, we, we, we trust in what you've done for us on the cross. And your word says that if we confess you as Lord Jesus and we believe that you were raised from the dead, that God, we will be saved. And so, Lord, we believe that. We confess you as Lord and we choose this day to follow you, Jesus, even through the wilderness, even through difficult times. Because, God, we know that you have our lives in the palm of your hands and your goal is to do us good in the end. It's always good, God. You've always got good intentions for us. And so right now, Lord, as people respond, I pray that you would begin to overwhelm them with your joy, with your peace, with supernatural strength and wisdom, Lord, so that they're going to overcome this trial and this test and they're going to come out with a power in the spirit that they've never had before in their lives and we ask it God in Jesus name Amen Amen. we're going to worship together just for a moment but listen please come to this altar spend some time in prayer if you want to if you need prayer for anything come forward and let us pray for you